doing a series called Through the Crowd, and uh, it's amazing how he would pinpoint people even when there was a crowd around him. And the idea is that Jesus, is even in the midst of a crowd, he saw the individual. And in this morning, believe it or not, in the midst of this crowd, he sees you as an individual. He'll deal with what's going on in your life. Uh, it's amazing how one message, it's like a, a shotgun. It's not like a rifle, you know, like a bullet. It's like a shotgun shell where you shoot it and it just spreads out everywhere. And God can speak to you no matter what it may be. Through the years, I've learned and had people come to me and say, God really spoke to me about this. And I said, I don't think I've ever spoke about that, that I, that I remember. But God can take and minister to you individually. So instead of thinking of yourself in a big crowd and I'm hidden away and nobody knows me, how many know that God can zero in just on you this morning? Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 Uh, Is the theme verse. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this morning, we're going to take and look at a a, a small crowd, a crowd of seven men. And out of those seven men, he pinpoints one person that he deals with. And he deals with an issue that this person has had. And I don't know, since childhood, we don't know. But ever since he became part of this crowd, uh, he had had this issue that he was dealing with. And the issue was the sin, and I call it that because that's what it is, the sin of comparison. Everybody groaned together. Everybody groaned together. We groaned one time. The sin of comparison. And uh, the story goes, I want, I want to read this story. In John chapter 21, this is right after Jesus uh, is raised from the dead. And he, the, the, he sees the disciples, and then uh, they have some days on their own. And the Bible says, one day Peter says, uh, let's go fishing. And seven, six others along with him go fishing. Seven of them go fishing. And uh, that's the night they didn't catch anything. They draw it all back in. And uh, Jesus appears on the shore. Uh, you know, he says, uh, you know, cast your nets on the right side. They do. They catch, you know, the boats almost break. He brings it in. And then he's, he's, he's grilling fish before they even bring their fish in. And he looks at Peter. And this one he says, Peter, do you love me? And three times he says it. And it's really deal, dealing with Peter's heart. And we always think of denial and what he did. But there was some part of that had to do with comparison. Because you remember, you remember when Jesus um, said tonight, all, before, he was, before he was arrested, you know, he was with them. He said, tonight, uh, all of you are going to deny me. Every one of you are going to deny me. And Peter stood up and he said, I'll never deny you. They may, but I will never deny you. I will go even to death with you. And Jesus says, before the night's out, the cock will crow twice and you'll deny me three times. But Peter had compared, because he said, they, you know, it was implied there, but he said, I will never deny you. I will die. Now they might, the rest of them might, but me, no, not me. And believe it or not, Throughout his earthly ministry, it looks like Peter was the one that instigated this comparing, comparing, compare, arguing about comparing each other. And I'll show you that in just... But let's read the, John chapter 21. This is after he said, uh, do you love me? Do you love me? Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you want. He's talking, he's pinpointed Peter out of this small crowd of seven men. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter absolutely set his eyes on Jesus and followed Jesus without another word being said. Is that what it says? What does he do? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's it to you? That's what I started to call this to serve. What's it to you? Look, look at somebody and say, what's it to you? Would you just look at somebody and say, what's it to you? If, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad that this disciple was not going to die. Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but that if, if he wanted him to, what's it to you? All right. And so really, really amazing story. So what do I, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but why did Jesus say that to him? Why would you want to know if you if you could know, would you want to know you're going to die a very grisly death at the end of your life? Because here's Jesus dealing with him, said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then when he got done with doing that, uh, you know, he said, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. He said, he looks at him, he says, you know, when you're young, you did this. But when you grow old, uh, you're going to have a very grisly, you're going you're to glorify God by a very grisly death. Because he's really talking about crucifixion. That's, you know, when you read and study what it means. And so why would he do that? Why would he really, why would he do that? Because Peter had an issue with comparing, comparing himself to others. And you see it right here. It comes out broadly. Jesus tells him his life. And he says, here's what's going to happen. And instead of just saying, yay, Lord, yes, Lord, and following him, he looks and compares himself. What he's wanting to say is, tell me that his death is going to be worse than mine. It'll make me feel better. Tell me he's going to have a bad time. Tell me, tell me that he's going to really... Get it, you know, at the end also, and then I'll feel, you know, birds of a feather. We'll feel okay. And Jesus must not have, you know, Jesus must not have watched the Dr. Phil episode where, you know, if he'd been on Dr. Phil, you know, Dr. Phil would have said, oh, Peter, you're vulnerable. Come on, let's give a group hug, you know. He does, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, what what if I want him to live forever? What's that to you? Instead of making it better, he made it worse. Look, look during the, the, the disciples, the three and a half years that they followed, you would not believe, if any of you have been watching The Chosen, you know, sometimes they take liberty and they, and they connect things that aren't connected. But I, I said, I know how to eat meat and, and throw out the bones. But you, we don't know all that took place. But we know some of these things. Because look at this in Luke chapter 9. There's an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Guess who I would put my money on instigated that argument? Luke 22. This is when he gives the Lord's Supper. This is after he did the Lord's Supper. Judas is left. He's going to betray him and all this and that. Look at Luke Luke 22. And a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. I mean, the weight of the world is on his shoulders. He's about... Uh, it's like it's like when you have small children and you've got something so important and dramatic happening in your life, and these kids are arguing about you know who got the, uh, he got a bigger piece than I got a bigger piece, and in the way of the world, and the Bible says they're arguing who is the greatest, 
And uh, this is just, and, and you know, who, if my money is on who instigated this, <laughs> because but right after this, Peter, that's when he said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter is thinking, you know, they might, but I won't. It is a sin. I, I call it that because I believe it's a sin of comparison and uh, all that he took place and all that he was dealing with. But I want you to, uh, I want you to understand that uh, number two is, let me talk about the curse of comparison. If you've never realized this, there is a curse associated with comparing. We've done that since the time we were little kids. You start growing up, who's taller, who's shorter, uh, who's got bigger muscles, who's got, who's developing quicker, who's got this, who's got straight hair, who's got curly hair, who's got freckles, who doesn't have freckles. Um, all, we, we, from the time we're born, there's this, this comparison that comes into our lives about who's got more friends. Now you got, you know, social media. Who's got more, more followers or who's got more whatever it be. There is a curse because if, let me tell you what comparison does. If you allow comparison to become a part of your life, it produces one of two things. And this, I don't say many absolutes, but this is absolute. It produces one of two things. Number one, it either produces inferiority or it produces superiority. If you let comparison become part of your life, you will either in your life feel inferior or superior, and it may wane one side to the other depending on the situation that you're in. Let me say it another way. It either produces insecurity or it produces pride. And uh, it's like this. Uh, I, one of the worst magazines ever produced was Better Homes and Gardens. You know why? Better than who's Better than yours. You can be all satisfied with your house, with your, with your, you know, your, your kitchen, your bedroom, your closet, until you get better homes and gardens. And there it shows you. And you start comparing and say, how in the world have I ever lived in this kitchen? I don't know how I ever cooked a meal in this kitchen. Hey, I need a couple of volunteers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start one with my son, uh, Rylan. He'll be one volunteer. And uh, Rylan, now Rylan was the... Uh, he about Rylan was about four or five, I think, is when his mom and dad taught him about uh, keeping your promise. This is a, this is my grandson. And, and uh, they said, you know, when you make a promise, you do not break your promise. And when daddy, mom may make a promise to you. And when you make a promise, Rylan, you do not break your promise. And a few days later, he's wanting to watch something on TV. And they said, no, you've watched enough. And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I have to watch it. And they said, you do not have to watch it. He said, I do. I promise myself. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, hold that right there if you would. Okay, I need another volunteer. Hold it and show it to the, hold it in front of you and do it. Uh, you can hold it. I need another volunteer over here on this side. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> All right, here's the key. Come right over here if you would. So, Harvard University did a study. And uh, they, here, was, here was the question they put out to, to uh, their study. Uh, I forgot how many thousands of people it is to. But they asked a question. Would you rather make... Uh, $100,000, or would you rather make 50000 If you had a choice, which of these two amounts of money would you, would you prefer to make? Now, before you answer that, over, over, uh, you know, over uh, 52%, over half of the people chose $50,000. Now, think that through. Over half the people chose 
to make. And let me tell you why. I need a few more volunteers. Come on, Mom and Dad, you have to come here and do it. It's real easy to do. It's not anything I will embarrass anybody about. And I need three more people for that side, Roger. I need you guys over here. And I need, if you'd come up on the stage, if you would, stand on the stage. And you guys be on the platform. I need uh, three more people over here with them. Would you, three more people? Just give one of those and hold those out, would you? Now, you stay down here, Riley. You come over here. All right, I need five people. Come on. Get you, uh, give me five more volunteers, would you? Here's all we're going to do. You, you don't have to say nothing. You don't do nothing. You just have to stand. And let me show you why, what happened. No, I want you, I want you guys on the stage. Yeah, if you guys, you guys come up on the stage. Yeah, lead them up on the stage. Come on. It's easy. Come up on the stage. You, I want you guys on the stage. I want you down here. And here's, here's what happened. Here was the qualifying thing they did with this, this uh, experiment. Just stand aside and hold your thing up. For you to make $100,000, you had to live in a neighborhood where the average income was $200,000. Everybody you went to church with, the average income was $200,000. All the kids in the school you took your kids to, their families made $200,000. But if you chose the 50000 you lived in a, a neighborhood where the average income was 25000 Everybody you went to church with made 25000 average. And all the kids in your school made 25000 And when everybody, when they considered that in, everybody say comparing. They showed the power of comparison. Over half the people chose to make 50000 to feel good about where they lived instead of making 100000 all right, give them a good clap. Well, thank you. you and, and for your service, you can keep your paper. You can keep your paper. Thank you. You can keep your paper. And you take that as a treasure and a, a piece. We reward big here. We really reward. Oh, oh, we can save money for the church. All right. Hallelujah. So let me tell you the power of comparison. You may never have thought that. But uh, when you, you know, it's when your job, when you compare your job, it's either better or worse than the other person that you're comparing with. Your spouse, either, have you ever compared your spouse to somebody else's spouse? Oh, if my spouse would just, if my spouse would. Either way, you're either going to come away feeling inferior or you're going to come away feeling superior. And it's not right. It's the curse of comparison. Because you either, either your pride comes in or inferiority complex comes in. My job's better, my job's worse. My house is better, my house is worse. My family's better, my family is worse. My marriage is better, my marriage is worse. Insecurity or pride. And the other thing it does is, in this curse of comparison, it, it, it produces anger toward God. Because in your mind, you know God is almighty. Everybody say he's almighty. So if he was almighty, he could have gave me a better spouse or a better house or a better car or a better whatever, a better body or a better whatever. And so, listen, you know, it's like this. You, the economy is bad. Like, let's say that you're in a certain profession. Let's say you're a plumber. And you and this and, and, and during COVID, I mean, your, your business almost went under. I mean, it was so horrible. And you're at church one day and you're just talking to another plumber. And there's another guy in there. He's got a plumbing company, too. Man, man, it's been a bad year. And he, and he says, I mean, our company's been so bad. We almost went under. How's your company? Doing? Well, we've had a pretty good year this year. 
In fact, it's the best year we've had in 25 years. And in your brain, if you compare, in your brain, there starts this thing. Well, that proves that God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not fair with me. Um, I'm, I should be reading my Bible more. I should be praying more. I don't know what I, I, there's something wrong with me that's going on. It's like this. You ever had anybody, anybody come and say, my aunt died. She left me a million dollars. And in your brain, you think, God, you could kill my aunt just like you killed her aunt. <laughs> you thought those thoughts. I know you thought those thoughts. <laughs> or when something bad happens. To somebody that's only, you know, they've been knocking it out of the park. I mean, just, just one great thing. And then all of a sudden you hear, well, they were in an accident. Oh, really? Oh, their nose was broken? Oh, was it permanent? No. You get, oh, come on. Let's go to lunch. I'm buying. Come on. In. You're, you remember one of the parables I, don't, I, I dislike the worst in the Bible is in Matthew 20. Jesus tells a parable about a, 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 a landowner who goes out and he hires workers. You remember this parable? And he hires the workers at the beginning of the day, you know, somewhere around 7 o'clock in the morning. He hires workers. He says, if you work for me all day long, I'll give you a Daenerys. That was a day's wage, was a Daenerys. And so they agreed. Yes, sir, we'll come. We'll work for the entire day for a Daenerys. Around noon, he comes back out. The homeowner comes back out, finds more workers. He said, come and work for me. Around 12 o'clock, they're taking lunch. He said, uh, what's, what's fitting? I'll give you at the end of the day. He goes back out in the afternoon. And he hires some more, whatever's fitting, I'll give you. Then, then, then 15, 30 minutes before the day ends, he goes out, he finds others, and they said, no one's hired. He said, come on, come on, work for me, and I'll pay you what's, what's right at the end of the day. So they come and work about 30 minutes, an hour, or two hours, whatever. But it's shade, it's cooler, it's been... And then the Bible says, when the, when the horn blows, they all line up for him to pay them. And it says, the last ones came first. So the last ones, it's only worked a few, you know, about 30, 40 minutes. They come and they stand and he hands them. He, guess what he hands them? He hands them a what? Now, let me get this through to you. Does it, did these guys that came at 7 o'clock, did they agree to one Daenerys? So is there, would there be any problem when they walk up there? And he hands them one denarius. Is it going to be any problem with, with what they agreed on, what they said they'd do it for? Would there be any problem if they just going to make uh, 100,000? Is it going to be any problem with what they agreed on? Unless, <laughs> unless they compare themselves to how many hours they worked and how many hours these dudes worked. And the Bible says they did, they grumbled. When they got up there, they grumbled because he handed them one Daenerys. But they thought they were going to get more. Why did they think they were going to get more? Because they were comparing themselves to somebody else. Let me ask you something. When you knelt your knees before the Lord God Almighty and you surrendered your life, what did you agree to? Did you say, God, I'll do this if you heal me every time I pray, if you give me every penny I ever asked for, if you'll just, is that what you agreed on? Or did you get in and say, Lord, my life is yours. You forgave me of all the sins I've been. You died in my place. God, my life is yours. Somehow we forget about the agreement we made with the Lord when we surrendered our life to him. Down the road because, well, look there. They hit the lottery last week. My, I've been tithing longer than they've ever been tithing. Look, they hit the lottery.
Now watch this. This this is one of the little TED talks. But this is this is it's a guy that's going to show they do experiments with monkeys. I think that's a good animal to use with comparing to people. It's he used monkeys. And uh, what they do is they, they, they have this little trick where they take them out of the... They all live together. And then they put them... They take them and they separate them in cages. And they have two of them. And they train them how to... They got a little pile of rocks inside the cage. And they have to pick up a rock and give it to the, to the person. And when they do, they get, they get a reward. They get a, a piece of cucumber. Now, and, and they did that 25 times in a row. And then the, the cage right beside it was the other little monkey. And the monkey, that little monkey give a thing. And they give a cucumber. They do that 25 times in a row. And the monkeys loved it. They eat their cucumber. and eat, But watch what happens when, and I just cut this shorter. Watch what happens when they put a bowl of cucumbers here. But on this side, they put a bowl of grapes. And watch what happens when this monkey, this little monkey, sees doing the same thing this other monkey's doing. And he only gets a cucumber and the other one gets a grape. Watch this. No, Sam. We're working on it. I kind of told you what they're doing, so you'll, you'll kind of see it. <laughs> Just watch, watch what happens. So what he's doing, he's telling them, he said, so... He said, 25 times in a row, we gave each of them cucumbers. They loved it. They ate the cucumber. They gave another rock. Ate the cucumber, gave another rock. Yeah, I'm doing a good job, aren't I? <laughs> and he, he, did, he did say that cucumber is nothing but water. That's all cucumbers are, just water. And so, <laughs> so what's this? So the first time, they're going to give the monkey a cucumber. And then he's very happy. He's very, he just, you know, he loves it. He likes it. He, he receives it. It's good pay. It's, it's exactly. Now watch this. So she's, he's gonna, the little monkey's going to give a, a rock to the worker. And uh, he's going to get a cucumber. See the little cup of cucumbers right there below her arm. And uh, it's going to be very. See, gives a rock. Takes it. He gets, Now watch what he does. He eats it. Everything's fine. Fantastic. Now his neighbor, watch this. He, gets, he gives a rock. And he gets a grape, and this monkey sees it. See him? See, he, sees, he sees he got a grape. So he quickly goes and gets a rock. He gives, he gets a cucumber. He hates it. What? <laughs> the, the other monkey gets a grape. He's watching this. <laughs> now he's, He's a little fed up, but watch it. All right, all right, I'll give it to you. Now, give me a grape. Watch this. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> you got it. All right, now, now, how many of you see yourself? How many of you see yourself in this? 
Because when you compare yourself to somebody else, when it, there is a curse to comparison because what you were satisfied with, you feel like you've been cheated. You feel like you didn't get what was yours. And uh, let me give you this. <clears throat> we always talk about John the Baptist, how great he was. But I decided to put him right after this monkey because he does exactly what these monkeys do. Now watch this. Remember John the Baptist? <clears throat> Remember he was, he was out in the wilderness. He was a forerunner. He was a voice. One crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. When Jesus comes over top the hill, he sees him. And the Bible says uh, he sees the Spirit of God ascending and, and remaining upon Jesus. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He that sent me said, the one that I see the Spirit uh, descending and remaining on, he'll be the one. He is, I'm not even worthy, uh, you know, to... Latch your sandals. You want me to baptize you? You need to baptize me. And she said, no, let all righteousness be done. And so he does all these things. He knows exactly who Jesus is. But watch the little monkey, monkey tantrum that John the Baptist plays here. Now watch this. In John chapter, uh, John chapter 11. Now, uh, I'm sorry. uh, I did the wrong one. I did the wrong one for you. I won't. Uh, John the Baptist. I didn't, I put the wrong one out there for you, didn't I? Is that John 11, 1 through 6? Give me, gee, see if I can even read this. I already marked it out. I marked out the wrong, let me just say this. Find the scripture about John the Baptist when he sends, uh, right after Lazarus dies and he, uh, Lazarus is, um, uh, is about to, uh, uh, not Lazarus. He's in, John is in prison. He sends his disciples to Jesus and asks him, go ahead, find that scripture for me, would you? Okay, anybody remember exactly where it's at? Because you got to read this. Because this is John the Baptist throwing a little monkey fit. And it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible uh, is when he does this. It came in just a few minutes. Because what he does is he gets thrown in prison. And you remember Herod comes and wants to talk to him and all this and that. And he's trying to, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's really afraid of him. He's afraid to kill him because of all the things that place. But he's put in prison. And the Bible says this, it says, now John, when he was in prison, heard of all the things, of all the miracles Jesus was doing. Now get this in your mind, this is exactly what it says. John, in prison, heard of all the miracles of Jesus. How he's, he's raising the dead, uh, he's healing the leper. He's taking prostitutes and, and redeeming them. Uh, he's, tax collectors are coming in. He's forgiving them. They've been transformed in their, in their, in their mind. It goes on. He, they begin to tell him all these things of, of what he's, he's, Jesus has done. And the Bible says, here's John the Baptist in prison, hears of all that Jesus has done. You would think he would say, that is, I know he's the Messiah. I know it. But you know what the Bible says? He sent his disciples and he said, go ask him this. Are you the expected one or should we search for somebody else? Are you the, ex- we're going to read it because I, I, you guys take your time and find it. Are you the expected one or should we look for another? Are you the expected one or should we look for another? Now get this, John in prison heard about all the great miracles Jesus was doing. Sends word and says, are you the expected one or should we look for another? And I love what Jesus said. Jesus says, go tell John this. 
the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. Uh, here he goes. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went away from there to teach and preach in their cities. Is this the one we want? Now, when John, look at this. Now, when John in prison heard about the deeds of Christ, you would think when he heard all that Jesus was doing, I was right. I knew I was right. God spoke to me. I know what God is doing. But he is doing a monkey fit here. Come on, somebody. When John heard, he sent word by disciples, said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for somebody else? You know why he said that? When John in prison, let me say it this way. When John in prison heard about what Jesus was doing for everybody else. When John in prison heard about everybody else getting a grape. And he was getting a cucumber. John in prison heard what Jesus was doing for everybody else. And all I've done for, and all I've done for him. I was the voice of crying. I came before nobody else. I, I owned him before anybody else owned him. I was there from the beginning. I should. I, I deserve. And his Bible says he threw a monkey fit. He looked out his cage. And he saw everybody else getting grapes. Lepers are cleansed. Dead are raised. Prostitutes are, 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 are forgiven. And the Bible says he sent word. And watch this. I love the way Jesus, because he didn't do a Dr. Phil, give a group hug. Look what he did. He says, Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. <laughs> the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the good news preached to them. And P.S. P.S. Tell that monkey that blessed is everybody that doesn't get offended at me. P.S. Tell that monkey that blessed is the one who is not offended. Tell, the, tell John who's having the little monkey fit. Tell him blessed is everyone who is not offended at me. Everybody say amen. Would you say amen and ouch all at one time? The curse of comparison can make you believe that God's not good. The curse of comparison can make you believe that God is not good. You know, Exodus chapter 33, Moses, he asked God this question. He said, Lord, he said, uh, uh, you have Exodus 33? Oh, they got to jump out. They probably jumped out of their whole thing. Moses says, please show me your glory. Now, let me give you a modern term for glory because we think he's asking God to smoke and mirrors and, you know, woo, woo, woo. that's not what Moses is asking. The word back then, uh, glory, was what, what do you get glory for? What, what, another, a, a modern word would be, what are you famous for? What are you famous for? And uh, it'd be like I said, what, what is, if I said the name Shakespeare, what would you think? L literature, right? If I said Muhammad Ali, what would you think? You'd think, you know, boxing. Or, or Joe Burrow, what would you think? What if I said Joe Biden? Okay, we're not going there. All right, let's just go back here. We won't, we won't go there. So what are you famous for? What are you famous for? And uh, that's what he says. God, show me what you're famous for. Show me your glory. Show me what you get glory for. What do you get glory for? And watch this in Exodus 33. Here's what God says to him. And he said, I will make all my what? I will make all my goodness 
pass before you and you proclaim my name. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. He said, listen, I, what am I famous for? I'll make all my glory, all my goodness pass before you. And that's what God gets because God is good. Everybody say that. God is good. And no matter what the devil tries to tell you. And one of the things you learn, I say it this way. I started to put it down and, and just harass all the English teachers. But God is so good, he cannot get any gooder. Come on, somebody say amen. And there is, there is a definition in the dictionary for that. You know, there's one place, there's no, no English word, but there is. And it's a derivative of good. And it's in there somewhere. I, just, I know it's in there somewhere. And the devil comes. And whispers in your ear, when you've got the curse of comparison, is the devil whisper in your ear, say, how could God be good if he didn't, you know, he did this for all these other people, but didn't ever did it for you. He healed that person, never healed. He provided there. He did. He'll, let me tell you what it is. He takes, and many times, here's what a, here's what a good liar. You know, the Bible says he's the father of lies. He liar, he's a liar and he's father of lies. He, you know, the, have you ever, how many ever met a good liar? Everybody met a good liar? Satan is a thousand times better than that good liar you ever met. And the way he lies is he many, many, many times he attributes to God his own works. Because last time I checked, God made a perfect world and the snake, the serpent, the devil came in and got the people to rebel against a God that had made a perfect world. And the day is coming when God will renew this world and turn everything back to right. But right now is not that time yet. And so many times the devil whisper in your ear, how could God be good when he... And you fill in the blank on that in your life, what he's done. Comparing to yourself. You might be in school and you wonder, why, why am I shorter than everybody else? Why am I... Or you be in school and you're so tall. Why am I so tall? Why am I... Oh, you're in school and, you, and one man said one time, he said, God... I know you made my stomach, but why did you make it so big? And God said, I didn't make it big. I made it stretchable so it wouldn't explode. Come on, somebody. So Satan says, if it's God, we said, God did, God did all this and God is good. And he even came to Adam and Eve. And the first time he came to Eve, he said, you know what? God really isn't. God, God's holding back on you. Look, look at this. Look, compare what he's told you you could have, all these other trees, and look at this tree. And the Bible says she saw it was good for, you know, this and this. She compared that to what God said they could have. So there's this sin of comparison that begins, and I don't know if you ever thought about it. The devil tries to get in your mind God is not good by comparison, by comparing, comparing. Uh, and I don't know if you ever thought about creation this way, but look at Genesis 1. When God created the heavens and the earth, he, he, every day he created something. And the Bible says he looked for one quality beyond anything else. Whenever he created a day, he created the heavens and he created the earth and he created the atmosphere. He created the waters. He created the animals. He created the, the, you know, the land. And every day he created it, he stepped back and he looked for one quality that he could say, it's got this quality about it. You remember that? Let's just go through them real quick. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was what? And, 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 and separated the light from the darkness. God called the day the dry land earth and the water they gathered together. They called seas. And God saw that it was? 
The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was... And God set in them the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth <coughs> and rule over the earth the day and uh, over the day and over the night and over separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was Good. and God created the great sea creatures, every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to his kind. And God saw that it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to his kind. And God saw that it was. Now listen, God saw everything that he made and behold, it was what? Very good. Now, why would God be looking for that? Why would God be looking? Why would God want that one quality in everything he created? Everything that he made. Why would he want that one, one quality? And you find it in the book of Romans. It says it very plainly. Look at this. Romans 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. He says, listen, he says, I made everything so that when you go out on a starry night and you look up in the heavens, you say, oh, how great this is. God, you're so good. You go to the Alps, you go to the Grand Canyon, you go wherever you go. There's nothing wrong with loving nature or loving creatures or loving your cat or your dog. Come on, all the cat people say amen this morning. And so there's nothing wrong with loving those because the Bible says God made all those and he put the quality of goodness in them. That's why how many, how many would like to be as good as your dog thinks you are? Everybody say amen. He'd like to be as good as your dog thinks you are. We've got, we're keeping, Ben's gone, so we're keeping, you got to see all the reptiles, the animals and everything they've got. But we're keeping the goldfish. And he's got this goldfish. You ever see one of these goldfish? This goldfish is not shy. This goldfish, I'm eating my cereal this morning and he's staring at me straight in the eye right here. And all they told me to give him is this little, he ever fed one, this little pellet of food once in the morning and once at night. How many know I can't do that? Come on, I just, I just start feeding them and... <laughs> They go, they go have one fat fish when they get back, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> he says, because I am God. And God does all those things. And God made it so his goodness. You know, I'll never forget. Amy Wilson Carmichael was a great, one, of the greatest, one of the great missionaries. She, she uh, was 55 years in India. And she rescued so many of the, of the young girls that had been sold into prostitution by their parents in India. But when she was a little girl, she tells the story. She said, when she was a little girl... She said she compared herself to all the other girls in her neighborhood. And for some reason, every other girl in her neighborhood had blue eyes. Everybody say blue eyes. And she had brown eyes. And she said one of the prayers she began to pray when she was a little girl is she would pray, Oh, God, would you turn my brown eyes blue? Come on, somebody, long before the song ever came out. Would you turn my brown eyes blue? And she prayed it every day. She said she'd get up in the morning, she'd run the mirror, and she'd look in the mirror to see if God had done the miracle of turning her brown eyes blue. And then she'd go to school and she'd compare herself or she'd come in and play in the neighborhood and compare herself against every little girl that had blue eyes in her neighborhood. Years go by. She begins a, a rescue mission where she lives. And then she felt a call to go to India. And she went to India and she began to rescue girls that were sold into prostitution. And she got this idea that she could take coffee grinds and, and darken her skin to make herself look like an Indian uh, from India. And she would go in, she'd rescue these girls, and she'd deliver them, and she'd go back out. 
And she said one day, it's 55 years, she said one day about 40 years into this, she's in the mirror and she's putting the coffee grinds, you know, rubbing it on her skin, making her darker so she'll appear Indian. And she looks in the mirror and she sees those brown eyes that God gave her. The brown eyes, this is long before they had, you know, contact lenses. She sees those brown eyes that every other Indian girl has. And here's what she said. She said, she said, God, you are so good. I don't know what you've been comparing yourself and all this and that. I'm going to tell you, if you will trust God, that God loves you, that God is good. And if you will stop the curse of comparison. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. You know what he said? He said, you're stupid. That's what he means. You're, you, don't have, you don't have any understanding. You're just dumb. When you compare yourself, because there will always be somebody prettier or uglier than you. Come on, all the ugly people say amen this morning. There'll be always somebody more intelligent than you. Though some of you don't think so, but there's more people that's more intelligent than you. There'll be people, you name it. There'll be people that's got, you know, uh, you name it. So God says, when you compare yourselves, what, let, me give you, let me give you a big one here. Let me give you a real big one that the devil's doing right now. Romans 14. In the early church, they began to be this comparing each other about different things they believed. And one of the big things was about whether you can eat meat or not eat meat or only vegetables or when the Sabbath day was, whether you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day or every day was the same. And it was like life and death to them because, you know, they stoned you if you did this and that on, on the Sabbath. And here's what Paul wrote. This, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats despise not the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, the Sabbath. You know, and let me just tell you this, just, up, just on board. God never changed the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. There's nobody. God never said, Sunday's the Sabbath. They, we met on Sunday to show we weren't bound by Sabbath. <coughs> Excuse me. So the Sabbath is still Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. That is the Sabbath. Always was, ever will be. But Paul comes and says, when Jesus came on the scene, he said, some people still hold to that Sabbath. And, 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 and for us, it, some people believe it's Sunday the whole day. I'm going to tell you, when I came from Virginia, when I was 19 years old, I, drove, I moved down here from Virginia. The first time I saw somebody, this is 1970-something. The first time I saw somebody, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I, I've been shocked. I saw somebody mowing their yard on a Sunday. I'm going to tell you, that, it blew my mind. Nobody mowed your yard on a Sunday in Virginia. Back in the 70s. And I'm going to tell you, it, sh it shocked, it just absolutely shocked me. 
Well, I can tell that, that really, really moved you real greatly. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So what the devil did was, he came in and said, whisper, compare yourself to the other person. See, you're keeping the Sabbath, but they're not keeping, they're doing every day. And then the other said, look at them how religious they are. They're just keeping one day, we keep every day. And there began to be this curse of comparison. And the devil loves to divide us. Let's go to modern day. Let's use COVID. Let's use the vaccine. If I split this place, how many, I'm not, how many believe in the vaccine? How many don't believe in the vaccine? How many believe in masks? Who don't believe in masks? Who believe? And see, the devil behind the scenes, all he's trying to do is separate us. And I'm going to tell you, it don't matter to me whether you have or haven't. I'm for you. I will never. Listen, I am for you. I'm with you. And you be fully convinced because before your own master, you will stand or fall. Not before me. Before your own master. But I'll know this. I'm for you. I am for you. I remember when I was in college. I'll never forget this. I was electrical engineering in Virginia Tech. And, and I remember, I, I don't know what this class was about, but I just remember this professor telling about this guy that ran into a cave because there was a thunderstorm. He was in some country of the world. And when he got in there, there was a bear in there. And the bear lurched at him. And, and he, he saw a big limb and he grabbed the, the stick and he, and he stuck the, the, right in the eye, he stuck, he stuck the bear. And the next thing happened was the bear attacked the stick. I mean, just, he just went after the stick and just began to gnaw and fight and do the stick. And so that guy went, just out of there real fast. But see, that's what the devil does. The devil will take whatever the current issue is, whether it's a Sabbath day or vegetables or eating meat, and he'll stick. And, and if we're primitive in our warfare, then we attack the stick. Instead of realizing there's a real enemy behind here. Stirring this whole thing up. And we need to understand what we need. So, so let me just say, stop comparing yourself. Whatever the Lord has spoken to you, be fully convinced and go for it. And I'm for you. You know, I'm for I'm for it. Everybody say amen. So let's, uh, let's end this morning with the cure for comparison. Just four, four or five more minutes. We're done. The cure for comparison, that is Philippians 4.12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned a secret. Everybody say, I've learned a secret. Paul said, I, didn't, I wasn't born with this. I didn't get this. You know, I learned this. Hand me some things you've got to learn. I said, some things you got to, you got to learn some things. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I've learned this. I've learned, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. He said, I've learned, let me tell you, one of the best, best things you can ever do is instead of comparing with whatever God has given you. When I was young, I did what I want to do. I dressed myself when I'm old, I'm going to die this way. Follow me. Instead of comparing yourself, well, what about, well, what about, what about, instead of comparing yourself, be thankful. Amen. You ever laid in your bed and said, thank you for a bed, God, thank you for a bed. 
Thank you, there's a roof over my head. Food in my, how many, I mean, one day I was complaining because there wasn't any more room in my freezer to put something in there. How many ever thought about how stupid, how stupid that is? There wasn't any, I, my wife, she buys so much grocery, she puts up stuff in there, and I can't, I can't stuff anything else in this refrigerator. Hallelujah. Gratitude means a grace attitude. Gratitude, gratitude means everything you got is of grace. Everything God's given us is grace. Not a thing we deserved. You know, by grace, you're saved. And that is through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And, and you develop, let me tell you, develop a attitude of gratefulness. Yeah. Lord, thank you for my, you ever, you ever complain, you got an old Sears lawnmower, you push and you look over there, and, and there comes your neighbor with a brand new a cab and clothes Kubota lawnmower just driving around. <laughs> and you think, well, God, well, God, next thing you know, you're not thankful, your, your, your Sears lawnmower burns to the ground, burns right there in front of you like a, like a, Free will offering. Come on, like a burnt offering before birds. <laughs> Lord, thank you for the way I was made. Thank you for my ears. Thank you for my nose. Thank you for my shoes. Thank you how big I am, how small I am, how, what color am I. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. If you'll take, listen, if, if you'll do this, start every day just thanking God for 10 things in your life. Get up in the morning and say, God, thank you for a wife. Thank you for a husband. Thank you for my children. I want to kill him, but thank you for him, oh God. Thank you for him. <laughs> Lord, thank you for my, my job. Thank you. And, and, and I love this. Peter now, he died somewhere between 67 and 68 AD. We're closing. Come on up, if you would, uh, Nick. He died somewhere around 68, 67 years old. And here's what he said in Second Peter chapter 1. He said, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. So when he's pinning this, it's about 30 years later. 30 years later, he remembers that talk that they had at the beach that day. 30 years he's lived with the knowledge, I've got a, gruesome, I've got a gruesome end coming to me. But what was the Lord doing? What, was the Lord just wanting him to carry that weight for 30 years? Oh, no. It's today today. And, and he, but you know what he did? Jesus was trying to dig out of Peter that root of comparison, that curse of comparison that Peter was into. Argued all the three and a half years he was with him. Argued who was the greatest. Um, what about him, Lord? What about him? Uh, you know, and the great thing happened was you got to see Peter's life. He find, how many of you got, it may take a lifetime, but God can get some stuff out of you. And he gets this out of Peter. Because history tells us, when you read the life of Peter, and most of you remember this. When he comes to the time when he's a, he is to be crucified. All of you that know history, what did Peter ask? What did he ask? He said, can I be crucified? Upside down. Why, why, would, why would he ask that? Why would he ask that? You know why? I, one of the things I believe. He asked that because he said, I do not want to be compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I've got, that's one, that one of the big issues of my life. Every one of us has different issues. But that was his big issue. And at the end of his life, he showed that the Lord had worked that out of him. 
He said, I don't want to be compared to Jesus. Bow your heads, would you, this morning? You know, the, the curse of comparison begins many times. We hit grade school and, boy, it takes off. Who's smarter? Who knows the answer? Who has the better clothes? Who is better at sports? Who's worse? Who's got the best friends? Who's excluded? Who's included? All the comparison that the devil tries to bring in our lives. And let me tell you something. The Bible says you are God's creation. You are his workmanship created in him. You are unique. You are an individual that no one else is like. The snowflake that nobody else is like. And God made you in your DNA. God created you. God put it into your DNAs. And he knows exactly how you were going to be, what color hair, what color eyes, how big your nose, your ears, how tall, how short. He knew all of that. All that was in your DNA. And he did that for a reason and a purpose. And I don't care what devil tells you that God is not good, that, that if he'd made you different, that you could have turned out this way and that way and you'd have had more friends or less friends or this would never have happened had you not been that pretty and that would never have occurred. And why did God do that? And, why, uh, and that's the work of the devil, trying to blame God for his own work. And this morning, I just feel that in my heart. God wants you to know God is good. I want you tonight in this beautiful weather before you go to bed, I want you to walk outside. I want you to cast your eyes to the heavens. And I want you to see the starry host. And I want you to say thank you in your heart. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my children. Thank you for our economic place in life. Thank you for where you put us. Thank you, Lord, for just, just to begin to thank him. There's an old song that says, God, you're good. You know that old song? Can you do that one? I want you to say, stay seated right now. I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to sing that old song, God, you're so good. Would you say, go ahead, Nick, sing oh, that one. Oh, God, you're so good. Say that with your heart. Oh, God, you're so good. Sing it one more time. Say it from your heart. Say, God, you're so good. God, you're so the eyes closed just for privacy for the person you're here this morning or you're listening online and the bible says that the way you get saved is not that you become good enough it's because he's good and you're saved not by works or things you've done but you're saved by grace uh, and through faith which is the gift of god and god gives it freely and if you deserved it it wouldn't be grace you don't none of us deserve you don't deserve what what i'm about to say that god is offering you God is, God's offering you a full pardon. God's offering you a full, clean slate. God is offering to forgive everything you've ever done. Because not something you've done, 
but because of what his son did. His son went to a cross, took all of your sin upon him and died in your place. And God said, if you're willing, you've got to receive it. That's the key. He died for everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believes in him, you've got to receive it. And so this morning, if you want to receive that in your heart, in your heart's tender, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't think. Let me think of it. No, no, no. There's no thinking about it. Today is the day God wants you. And he wants everything. He takes it all. So right now, I want everybody to pray with me. And, and those of you that want to pray this, we're going to pray with you. And may, you may not be used to praying and don't know how to pray, but we're going to help you. Just repeat after us and say this from your heart. Say, Dear Lord, I ask you today to forgive me. Thank you for dying in my place. I receive it by faith. Give me grace, Lord, to receive it. Take my life. I surrender everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said a good amen today. Give them a good clap off. Would you do that?